All right. Don't you love kids? Kids are good, aren't they? They, they really are. Um, you know, <clears throat> it's true for us, though, isn't it? It's just as true for us. We all need an anchor, don't we? We all need an anchor. And Jesus is an anchor. I'm so glad that Jesus is an anchor not only for children, but for each of us, regardless of our age. And I, I trust that we are tying ourselves to him. Uh, I, I trust that we are. I want you to think with me this morning about, um, just a bit about where we have been. We've been talking about change. And this is our third week to think about change. This is the final week to think about change. Two weeks ago, we said this, Jesus does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the word of God does not change. It remains the same. It's a constant. We, we can count on it. It does not change. That's kind of like bedrock for us. That's important for us to, to understand, to think about, and, and to believe. All right? That does not change. But last week we said this. This is the truth. God is changing us. And God actually wants to change us. Are we open to the change that God is desiring to make in us? Now, the changes that God wants to make in us is really transformation. He wants to change us to become more and more like Jesus. Because if I'm not becoming more and more like Jesus, truth is, I'm just becoming more and more like myself. I'm just becoming more and more how Nate wants to live or what Nate thinks is right. So, Those are kind of my options, more and more like Christ or more and more like self. And self is going to go in a number of different directions. But Jesus, because he's the same, he pulls me and he pulls you in the same direction. And it it is his spirit within us that is drawing us and convicting us. And that is process. So hopefully we can say, I am not the same today as I was 10 years ago. I'm different. I am becoming more and more like Christ. And yes, it's true that I have a long ways to go. I've got a lot of change to make yet. But God is changing me. Well, I want you to think with me this morning about what God's word also has to say in this area of change. All right? So take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43 We're going to camp out there this morning. Isaiah chapter 43. And if um, if you do not have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew rack. And I believe, I should have looked at the bullets, and I believe it's page 515. Is that correct? Yes, thank you. 515 in the pew rack Bible. Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to look at verses 14 through 21 this morning. Before we read these, my subtitle here says, God's mercy and Israel's unfaithfulness. I'm not sure what your subtitle says. That's what mine says. God's mercy and Israel's unfaithfulness. That's so fitting because Israel was unfaithful. Um, Just some background really quick. God spoke really clear 
to the nation of Israel. And it went something like this, and it can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and some other places as well in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the law. It said, he said something like this, Israel, you have a choice. Follow me, honor me, and you will have my blessing. And then he went on to explain and explain, this is what the blessing looks like. I'm going to take care of you. Your crops will, will, will do well. You will have children. They will do well. And, and he said, your enemies, they will actually flee from you. That is, if you follow me, I want to bless you. But then he goes in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, he says, however, if you do not follow me, then the vice versa is also true. Well, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems with your crops, problems in your home. You're going to have your enemies when they come. It's not going to be them fleeing. It'll be you fleeing. There was a warning. And so Israel, they should, have, they should know this because God was, was very, very honest with them. This is how it works. Follow me. Blessing. Choose not to follow me. A curse. God was honest. He spoke with them about that. Well, Israel, they chose the path of disobedience. They chose the path of disobedience. And what happened? Mark, we can go to the next slide there. Well, there was destruction. So in 722, and this really happened in stages, but 722 B.C., before Christ, the Assyrian Empire came. And the Assyrian Empire came and took control of much of Israel. They, they began to fall. They, be, they became controlled. They, they, were, they were conquered. And God warned them of this. Now, these verses that I'm going to read were written about 20 years after this, about 700 BC. Now, we're BC, so we're going opposite direction, okay? About 722 when the Syrian army came through, but about 700 BC when Isaiah is writing this. And the words that he is going to write here were very prophetic. Because the words that he writes are really about the, Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, which had not yet taken place. But let's look at it and see what Isaiah is talking about here. Verse 14 of Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. I like those words, don't you? I want to know what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. That's who he is. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. We'll stop there. This has not happened yet. It's prophetic. But this is exactly what happened. For the first time in Scripture, the Babylonians are described as this is, this is the nation 
which is going to come and take you captive. And this is exactly what happened. Mark, let's look at the next slide there. I, whether you like history or not, this is just kind of, and I'm not even sure how well you can read that. But we've got first siege. Israel no longer a sovereign nation in 605 B.C., about a hundred years after these words were written. We've got second siege, numerous taken captive, including Ezekiel. By the way, before that, in 605, we've got Daniel. Uh, as in Daniel in the lion's den, we think of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. All right, these guys, these young men were taken captive. All right. Third siege, Jerusalem destroyed, 586. It's what God warned. This is what God said is going to happen. He said, if you don't follow me, there's punishment. This is what happens if you don't follow me. That's exactly what happened. It's true. And, and this was written before, but there, is this, there are these words here talking about the Babylonian Empire. And it describes them as being proud or arrogant and coming in their ships, coming with their mighty ships. And that's what they did. But there is a sense of God saying through the prophet Isaiah, Babylon, the final chapter has not been written. Yes, they're arrogant. Yes, they come to take you captive. And you are probably wondering, what am I going to do? But I'm telling you, the end of the story has not been written. Yes, they're arrogant. But there is more. I'm not done. Let's read on. Verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Stop right there. What are we talking about? A Jewish person as they as they read this, they would have known. And if we have, have some, some Bible background, we might even say, I think I know exactly what this is referring to. When it says, who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, talks about the army. And it says how they are extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. What's he talking about? Let's go to the next slide there. He's talking about the Exodus. The Israelites, they would have heard this and they'd say, I know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about when, when Moses, when we were in captivity, when we were slaves in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. And Moses came and went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response was, no. Hard-hearted, stubborn, And God said, okay, if that's how we're going to play, then this is how things work. And there were plagues. There was punishment. And eventually, it got to the point where it cost Pharaoh his own son. And Pharaoh said, that's it, get out of here. And the Israelite nation, they left. But when they got to the Red Sea, 
Pharaoh said, my slave labor is gone. Go back after him. And the armies, the horses, the chariots, they were going for him. And the Israelites are backed up against the sea. What are we going to do? And God told Moses, strike the water. And the waters separated. And the Israelites walked through on dry ground. Talk about miracle. That's a miracle. Walked through on dry ground. And as they got to the other side, all of them safely through. The Egyptian army comes through. And the waters came back over. And they were extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. I love how that is written. I love how that's written. That's what God did. Now listen to the next words. Because these really mess with my mind. 18. Forget the former things. There's a part of me that says, say what? You were just recalling the former things. And now you're telling me to forget the former things? You were just rehearsing the former things. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. God brought deliverance. But God told them, don't get stuck on the past. There's a sense of God saying, recall it. I did something big. I answered your prayers. You were in captivity. There was the exodus. I brought you out. But don't get so stuck on what I did back then that you miss what I'm about to do today. Don't get your mind so much in the past that you're always talking about the past. Well, this is what God did in the past. This is how God worked in the past that you forget that I'm about to do something new because if you, if you are, are so much viewing the past, you will miss what I want to do today. God said, I'm doing something new. I want to do something new. I believe that God is doing something new. Again, because when I look at this passage, God was good and he was faithful. And that would be the lesson of recalling the past, is to recognize the faithfulness of God. God was faithful. God brought deliverance to Israel. The Babylonians, they didn't last. There was their downfall too. 
But there came a day, and if they were so much concerned about the past, they would have been, they would have been causing their mind to just always go back to that, and they would have missed the fact that God had more plan. God sent a Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world, to once again bring about deliverance. But if we are always living in the past, we miss what God is doing today. God tells us a number of times, six times in the book of Psalms, once in the book of Isaiah, just the previous page in chapter 42, and two times it's futuristic in the book of Revelation. Sing to the Lord a new song. You ever wonder about that? God, why do you tell us to sing a new song? Why not sing an old song? Why not sing a song that has withstood the test of time? Why not sing a song I really know well? Well, there is nothing wrong, and I'm thankful for the old songs that we have. But God says, sing to the Lord a new song. I believe it's because God knows our heart. And the more I sing something that's familiar, the less my mind is engaged. The less my mind is engaged, the less my heart is engaged. And so God says, sing to the Lord a new song. I believe since those words were written, there have probably been seriously millions of praise songs written to the Lord. And he deserves them all. He deserves every one of them. Sing to the Lord a new song. God is doing something new. This is a new season for Kingwood Bible Church. Don't miss it. I believe that we will miss it if we are so focused on the past. Don't miss it. Change. Change is hard, isn't it? can be really hard. There's a lot of change that God has put on my heart to bring here. So for the sake of not overwhelming you, let me give you three changes that I would like to see at Kingwood Bible Church. And I'm going to speak in somewhat vague terms because I don't want to get so specific that you hold me to every one of them. Well, you said this and this. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Change number one that I would like to see at Kingwood Bible Church in the days moving forward. One, and this is probably, this is really dear to me, physical update. I want to see physical update 
to our facility. Which is kind of an interesting change, isn't it? Because that's not people. This is a beautiful building here. This is a beautiful building. And I love this. And actually, a lot of what we have in here, I desire that it stays. I love the stained glass windows. I want to keep those for sure. It's beautiful. I love the arch. This is, the construction of this has been done so well. But I also do know that for a first-time visitor, as you enter into our foyer, it does feel a little bit dated. I want to bring change. I want to bring change. I would like to put new flooring in there. I would like to put paint on the walls. I want to brighten it up. You know, when we've been around for a while, we kind of stop seeing things for how they are here. But when you're a first-time visitor, you notice it. First-time visitor, I believe this. They walk through the doors of a building. They look and they smell and they sense. How am I greeted and how does this look and how does it smell? And it takes a first-time person about 10 seconds to determine everything about the church. I don't want people to enter these building, this building here and get us wrong. I want us to put our very best foot forward. For the sake of growth, I believe it's essential. And you know what? Physical change, while that's not the most important, physical change, if we start to see it, it tells us as a body, we're not the same. We're on the move. Why? Because God is on the move. God is doing something here. Change number two, what I desire to see here would be this. Combating the, this is how it's always been done mentality. It's easy for us to get stuck there. To get stuck in saying, well, we always did it this way, so we're always going to do it this way. Well, that might be good, but it might be not the best. Maybe there's a different way to do it. Maybe the, the generation coming up might say, well, can we, have we ever considered doing it a different way? And if we are stuck and it's always been done this way, it'll be hard to move forward. I listened to a message from Kingwood Bible Church back in January by a man I've grown to have a lot of respect for. His name is Ron Friesen. He came here and he spoke. And I listened to his message. I think it was end of January of this year. And he said, Kingwood, are you ready to turn things over, to release things, to allow the next generation to rise up, to do things a little bit different? When I heard that message, my spirit within me just said, it was almost like the Lord was saying, Nathan, it's a green light. You go for it. You go. It was like the Lord was saying, okay, I provided Ron Friesen to prepare for you to go there. Now you go. (laughs) 
I just, I love that message. I was like, Ron, you nailed it. You nailed it because I believe that Ron is, is not trying to change truth ever, but just saying, let's consider that things might be done a little bit different. We need to do that. This last summer, I was, uh, when I was at Detroit Lake, I um, <clears throat> was sitting on the, on the shoreline and I was just trying to figure out, um, I, I was like, just how, how does a pastor unwind? Well, I picked up a magazine. Mark, it was this magazine that you can show here. This old house, not the greatest magazine for a pastor to read. But my wife had it. I was like, I need to read something. So I read this one. And the thing that really struck me was this. This is a magazine I was reading. The Apprentices. This old house, I don't know if you ever watched on OPB. I actually kind of enjoy watching that show because I love renovation. I think God is renovating all of us spiritually and physically. And I think they both go together. So I was watching this and then I was reading this and they have a handful of 17 to 30 year old men and women who are being trained. Because if you've watched this old house, you recognize something. They're getting up there in age, aren't they? It's time to pass the baton. This old house, they get it. They understand. They understand that we have got to pass the baton on. And so they are doing the best they can. If we're going to pass the baton on, let's make sure that those who we pass the baton on know how to carry the baton and know how to run. We have a job to pass the baton on to the next generation. But it is not only our job to pass the baton, it is also our job to raise them up, to teach them, to give them the tools so that they can lead and that they can lead well. And then to release them, to realize that it may not always be done exactly as I want, but if I have trained them well, they will know that which they hang on to. They will know that which does not change. And they will run well. And they will do things well. It excites me. The next generation excites me. Third change. Grow numerically. When, uh, <clears throat> when I was meeting with when Kelsey and I were meeting with the search committee, I asked him, I said, is, is our church content to be 60 to 70 people? Or do we, are we okay if, if we were to grow numerically? And they said, please, we want to grow. We want to grow. I said, well, good, because I was driving around the block and I was counting parking spaces here. And I was trying to figure out How big can we get? Because I'm trying to think about that which I would like to see happen. Now, I completely understand that growing numerically is very much out of my hands. And it's very much out of your hands. But we can do our part, can't we? I believe it has a lot to do with just simply good old-fashioned getting out there, being relational and talking. I've enjoyed two days so far since I've been here just going around the neighborhood and just talking with people and just going door to door and knocking on the door and seeing who's willing to talk to me and just saying, hi, 
My name is Nathan. I'm the pastor, new pastor at Kingwood Bible Church. We're the church that's in your neighborhood. We're your neighbors. If you ever have a need, would you please let us know? Because we would love to see if we can meet it. That's what we're here for. I need to do more of that. We can do more of that collectively. And then just trusting that God will be the one who makes the increase. He's the one that can do it. It's not our job. It's God's job. He'll do it. But the reason why I want to see this church grow is because this is a good church. And I believe that good churches are the ones that should be growing. I want to see churches that remain true to God's word be the most, they should be the most culturally relevant because they're the most biblically accurate. So I want to see those churches grow. That's the church I get passionate about. That's the church I'm excited about. That's the church I want to see do well. That's Kingwood Bible Church. Physical updates. Combating the this is how it's always been done mentality and growing numerically. I invite you. That's my prayer. And that is what I am going to be praying for every day moving forward. And I'm inviting you as the body to join me in praying for those three things. Father, thank you that we can call you Father because of Jesus, because of what he has done on the cross. Thank you that we can be reconciled in good standing, in relationship, right relationship with you. I thank you for that. Father, I pray that as a church, we would remember those things that do not change. Your word does not change. You remain the same. Your character does not change. I thank you for that. Father, you are changing us. I thank you for that. May we give you the freedom to have your way with us. To change us. To become more and more like the image of Jesus. And then, Father, I pray that we would be careful as a church not to get stuck in the past. May we recognize the past, be thankful for the past. I believe we can learn so much from the past. But Father, you are doing a new thing, and I don't want to miss it. And Father, I pray that we would give you the freedom to move as you want to move. You are moving here. You are doing something here. And I'm excited. I am excited about what you are going to do in the days ahead. And Father, I am even excited about what you have already been doing. Father, thank you. You are faithful. So may we give our lives to you, trusting that your will and your way be accomplished. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.